Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Welcome to the Coog Center Podcast, and here's your host. Single well expanded wild card, Mike. No. Does Major League Baseball call it the playoffs? Yes, they do. In fact, it used to just be the best team in the AL and NL went to the World Series. Then it used to just be the best two teams in the AL and NL fought it out to go to the World Series. And then it was just the division winners and the wild card winner. And then it was just the wild card playoff game. Okay? So I don't want to hear it. Uh, I'm just getting that out of the way. Uh, but my favorite thing, welcome, but welcome to the Kook Center Hour. I'm Michael Preston. We are going to talk about football here, uh, in a minute. Uh, no guests this week. So we're going to go over, um, another kind of thing that actually caught my eye on the comment section at Kook Center that I actually wanted to go a little bit more in depth on. Um, but my favorite thing about that clip, and you kind of hear it in every clip like that, I've edited a lot of Nat sound for baseball, like in internships, um, for a really important home run like that, you can kind of hear about seven seconds in, and it's really evident on the waveform that there's just this extra crescendo of noise and the crowd stays that loud the whole rest of the way. So like when Raleigh hits the ball, the crowd's loud, but then when the ball hits the hit here cafe, there's that little extra bit of noise and you can just like really hear it. And it's really cool. Go back and listen to it and then re-listen to all of this. Um, Seattle Mariners are in the playoffs for time in 20 years. And I, I, I will admit to, to crying a bit. Last Friday night. Uh, we'll end as well. Dunderhead of the week. Ask Michael anything. Doing the show early this week. Swapping with Craig and Jeff. Um, so they can, you know, have a life. All that good jazz. We all have lives. Sometimes you got to delay stuff and do stuff. Swap stuff. And we're happy to do it. Um, a normal football game against Cal. I am as amazed as you a completely and utterly normal 
not really worrying win. Like, at all. <laughs> it was just weird, man. Just like super weird. Even when it was 14 to 9. Even when it was 0 0. Didn't really worry about it. I made a joke running the Twitter account on a Saturday. That first touchdown Wazoo scored early in the second quarter. I was like, that could be the winning score. And it almost technically was <laughs> the winning score. Technically, the winning score would have been Robert Farrell's uh, touchdown catch in the third quarter. Which was a beautiful pass from Cam Ward. We'll talk more about Cam Ward here in a second as well, obviously. Um, but I, I didn't know how to react to that. Just like a normal run-of-the-mill football game against Cal. I was led to believe that was not possible. And it's just so lovely um, that it is. This was one of those games where, again, I think you're seeing the offense still have trouble finding that consistency. You can see when Cam Ward is given time, how beautifully he spins that football and how quick that releases and how powerful it is even with you know the fact that he's not getting a full motion in on that throw I, that aforementioned pass to Rob Farrell um it that thing had some zip and he fitted in a tight tight window between some Cal defenders um but again in the first half very inconsistent second half much much better they looked much better. Cam Ward still threw a really bad interception. And let's get this out of the way really quick. Both of those interceptions were really bad. Um, Ward clearly did not see the safety on the first one. And in that coverage, I think it's just with the with the safety playing center field, you you need to see the safety there. Um, and on the second one, I don't know, I don't know what he was doing. And I, I saw the one replay because I was busy chasing my daughter around watching the game. Um, and yeah, I, I don't, I, I have no earthly clue what he was thinking there. No idea. But it still strikes me as a guy who's very confident in his arm. And he could afford to be that, uh, you know, perhaps at the FCS level, but not at FBS and especially not in Pac 12 play. Um, against a pretty darn good defense uh, in Cal. And I think what, what 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 I'm actually most encouraged by by that was that Justin Wilcox has really had Wazoo's number um, ever since he became the head coach at Cal. I mean, God, it's been over half a decade now. Um, but ever since he's been the head coach at Cal, and I mean, this even goes back to his days at Washington, um, he's just schemed the air raid really well. And this time, Washington State managed to score 28 points. And I don't think, it, you know, I, I think you can actually probably attribute it to the fact that Eric Morris is just running a different version of this offense than what Justin Wilcox is used to seeing. It's not just Mike Leach and his air raid. And I know we keep making comparisons to Mike Leach and his air raid, but they're inevitable kind of when you have one of his coaching tree disciples as your offensive coordinator. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I really liked that second half from Washington State. Scoring drives, two scoring drives of 75 yards, both only took four plays, and another scoring drive of 67 yards, and then that one 44 um, where Ward threw that bad pick. Um, that's way better 
that is really consistent, being able to consistently move the ball right after Cal scored to get within uh, five. They went right back down, marched down, and slammed the door shut on them. And so they responded really nicely to that. Uh, I I think overall, again, the offense played better. There's still so much to be desired. You saw some explosive plays in this, right? You saw that big pass to Renard Bell that Cam checked into at the line. You saw some explosives to Dijon Stripling. You saw guys get open and you saw big chunk plays. I can't even count how many times I felt like Washington State. I don't know if it was because Cal was sitting in a soft zone or what they were doing, but Washington State was able to pick up third and long. And I mean long, like longer than your standard 10 yards in a set of downs. It was pretty astounding to see them be able to do that. And that is encouraging from the standpoint that, you know, kind of the one thing we've been looking for from this offense is chunk plays. Now, granted, excuse me again, that still has to do with how well your offensive line is or is not playing. Uh, But... It's, it's still great to see them finally kind of getting in enough of a groove to do that and against a pretty good defense. There's one thing we always know about Cal, and it's that they are very good on defense. Justin Wilcox is just not going to have an undisciplined football team on defense. So it felt good to be able to put up 28 against them. Uh, the defense, Washington State's defense, um, really great again. Uh, the one long scoring drive they allowed to Cal that went 90 yards and it kind of felt like a, ooh, that's not great if they're finding something. Uh, After that, the three ensuing drives featured 16 yards from Cal. So the defense did what they've been doing all year and played excellently. Brendan Jackson had a, there's only one way to describe it. He had a very violent football game. Uh, I think that was probably Brennan Jackson's best game this year. And again, you kind of see <clears throat> why having him and Stone up there and that rotation again with, with Quinn Roth as well uh, is so important because even if one of them has an off game, and I didn't see too much of Ron Stone here, his name called too much, but that's fine. Because if Brennan Jackson's having a great game, I mean, it matters, but it also doesn't matter. And all the defensive tackles who rotate in and out, their gap integrity is so good. And they're so, so disciplined up front. And even the linebackers in Maui Goa, Brown, Henley, Armani Marsh to uh, an extent because he's the nickelback. Um, they're just so, so good up front. There's obvious liabilities still in the secondary with this team. They are very, ob- that is very obviously the weak point of this football team. Now, the good news is Cal Cal has never been known for their offense under Justin Wilcox, ever. Uh, a, a middling at best offense. So you can afford a mistake or two on the back end. That is not the case uh, coming up this week. <laughs> it is quite the opposite of what you could do in Pullman on Saturday. I think it's a great win from the standpoint of, I think like Jeff talked about last week, games against Cal are games that you as a program are expected to win. You're expected to win these football games. Even though Washington State doesn't have an all-time winning record against Cal, 
the trajectory of these programs over the last, you know, 10 to 12 years has been such that, yeah, if you're a Washington State fan, you should probably expect to beat Cal in a given year. Or at least expect it to be a competitive game. Now, that's leaving aside the Cal Bull bleep, of which, again, I'm there was none in this game. I, I Okay, great. A normal win, whatever. Um... But th- th- this is a game a program like Washington State should be winning, you know, more than half the time. This is a game in which you should be able to exploit weaknesses because you look, kind of like we said against Oregon, you look across the line and you go, hey, that's me. Or a slightly worse me. I should be able to do X, Y, and Z. And you can compare yourself, you can benchmark yourself against a team. As it turns out, you can't do that against Wisconsin. Who, by the way, Paul Chris took the lower buyout because he gets one lump sum by February, and he can take that money, make interest on it. It's better than getting paid out nineteen million over five years if you know how to like move that money around properly. And it would probably be offset by any job he took as well. So now he just gets the big lump sum, and he can take whatever job he wants and doesn't eat into his uh, buyout. But leaving that aside, um. Washington State has kind of had two games like that again so far, and you saw them get up quick against Oregon, but kind of like we talked about last week was the yards per play against Oregon. If you looked at that, that game was always going to go the way it did. It was just a matter of when it was finally going to happen. This one against Cal, um, it just, it never really seemed, and you know, like I, I, I kind of said this against Idaho to an extent where I was just never too nervous about the outcome of that game. Cal had just 13 first downs. This is not sack adjusted, but they had 1.3 yards per rush, 7.6 yards per attempt uh, in their passing offense, and racked up just 311 yards for an average of 5.1 yards per play. That is not a good number. Now, granted, Washington State has won a game with that number um, this year, but that's also because they limited Wisconsin to 5.3 yards per play and got a bunch of really good special teams plays. So... You know, I I think you, you, you look at this game and you kind of go, okay, this is encouraging because this is a team Wazoo should beat. This is a team they should beat like that. And they went out and they did it. Um, things get a little bit more complex this weekend in Los Angeles. Caleb Williams, familiar face in Travis Dye, no gloves for that running back. Jordan Addison. And you also have a game... That is, and and not even kind of, it just is. It is strength on strength. USC's defense is not even close to the best one Washington State will see the rest of the year or has seen this year. In fact, it is, in terms of their 12-game schedule, it's hilariously average in terms of the quality. It's not like, like... They're not going to blow you out of the water with how good they are. But on offense, and again, this is where things kind of come into play, like the strength on strength comes in. The strength of USC's team is that offense. And the strength of Washington State is their defense. Now, we saw how that played out against Oregon. And you can be sure that Lincoln Riley is going to have something drawn up to make sure that they don't middle away at, you know, in the red zone like Oregon did for three quarters. And there's a familiar face on the defensive side of the ball for USC, and that is Alex Grinch, their defensive coordinator. 
I, I still can't believe a lot of people are paying him a lot of money. Um, he's still doing the same stunting stuff up front. So, this is strength on strength. And I think this game really does come down to... It, it comes down to when USC has the ball and Washington State doesn't. Can you do enough to limit SC to, say, four touchdowns? And I know that's a lot. I know that sounds like a lot. But I really think that if you can do that, you should expect to win this football game. You should expect to leave the Coliseum the last time you're going to play USC ever. You know, like unless it's a bowl game or something else. Again, real quality thank you there. You can leave with a win. Now, granted, again, I, I'm not saying that they're going to win this football game. I think it's unlikely that they win this football game. I don't want to, I want to guard my heart here. But if this defense can hold USC to 28 points, that should be enough for the offense. Again, facing a defense that is not the best one they've seen this year and is not the best one they will even see for the remainder of the year, Utah is better. Washington is probably better. Oregon State is you know, right, you know, maybe a little worse. Okay. So can you do just enough on defense to limit USC's weapons, to limit their explosives? Can you do just enough to give the offense an opportunity to go out there and again do just enough? This goes back to what we were talking about against Wisconsin. It goes back to what we've been talking about Idaho against Washington State. USC is number six in the country, and you're going to their house on Fox, primetime game, on Saturday. This is this is where some of Jake Dickert's nature as a defensive coach does not help. You need to go high variance. Because, and I, and I know this sounds dumb, but again, this is the last time you're going to see SC if the scheduling rotation still works the same way it should. You, you've got nothing to lose here. Fourth and five on the USC 45 in the first quarter. Go for it. Go for it. Don't question it. Because the way you win a game like this, and because Washington State has beat SC 10 times in their history, it's like something like 65 and 10 is SC against Wazoo. The way you win those 10 games is, generally speaking, high-variant stuff. Or you just happen to have as good of a team as has been the case a couple of times. But that 2013 win, high-variance. Chima Wachaku housing a pick. And I can't remember who Connor Halliday passed to late to set up the Andrew Fernie field goal. But again, high-variance plays. You got to be willing to take risks in this football game. If they are willing to do that, and if those risks can pay off, um, they have a chance to win this football game. And again, I'm not gonna like say they're gonna do it, but it's maybe not as outlandish as I thought on Sunday. But it's only Monday as I'm recording this, and I'm known to talk myself into these things later in the week. <laughs> okay, no guests this week. We weren't able to unfortunately finagle anybody. I'm to come in. So when we come back, I want to talk about kind of a unique thing that's been going on with Pullman for a very, very long time to do with attendance, to do with everything else. I see the complaints about attendance. I get it. I want to talk about it a little bit more 
try to go a little bit more in depth on it. I mean, we all know the reasons why, but I, I do want to just talk about it a little bit more. So we'll do that when we come back on the Kook Center Hour. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Back on the Coog Center Hour. Again, no guests this week. Just uh, needed not the right finagling to do it. And especially with my new job, which actually requires me to be on site uh, from 9 to 5 every day. And I actually like that. I don't mind it. Um, but it does make interviewing guests like during a lunch break a little difficult. When you can't just like lug your microphone and your computer uh, to work with you and do that for like an hour in your building. So it's a little difficult. Um 23,021 people. That was the attendance, the paying attendance for homecoming. That is just about, if I'm doing my math correct, about 70% full uh, at Martin Stadium. I think capacity a little over 32,000. Doesn't need to be any bigger than that, obviously. Um, and I, I, I see, you know, the same complaints. And I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody not going because, you know, we used to try to go to at least... Uh, four or five home games a year. Uh, it's a little bit more difficult with a child. Um, but, and and I, I understand the complaints about the empty stadium. I understand people, you know, admonishing those for not being there because I used to be that person. Um, and there are a lot of folks who work hard um, to make it work. Um, but this is not a new problem. It is not a problem that will go away now, and it is not a problem that in all likelihood uh, will go away in the future. This was the fourth home game in a month, so that is very, very difficult to stomach. It was homecoming, so the hotel prices were out of control. We'll get into that in a second. Um, the weather was perfect, though, so I mean, there was that. And th- so my my thoughts on this and why I want to talk about it was actually driven by some comments on Kook Center today on PJ's uh, Sunday Post, which is always excellent. You should always read it. He does such a great job with it. Um, was, you know, that there's... These are not, you know, again, like I said, these are not new problems. And because of where Washington State is located. Part of why you, I, and everybody who went to Wazoo loves Wazoo so much is because of its location. You were truly having to be yourself and on your own and cultivate these friendships because that's what you had. And it cultivated powerful friendships for me. I'm still wonderful friends with so many more people I met at Wazoo than I did in high school. Maybe it's because I was a dork in high school, but that's what it did. That's what made it special, but that is also a detriment to getting rear ends in seats six to seven Saturdays a year because the town of Pullman, the city of Pullman is not built to handle that influx of people 
for only six weekends a year. So the best, so here's the example I can think of is the hotels. Okay. We paid $300 a night for a hotel in Pullman for the Colorado State game. And I didn't even blink at paying that. If you told me to pay $300 a night for a hotel in Las Vegas, in Seattle, wherever, I would sit there absolutely gobsmacked at you unless it was like the Fairmont here in Seattle or it was the Bellagio, the Cosmopolitan, the Aria, the Venetian in Las Vegas. But that was for the Hilltop. Fine accommodations, but certainly not the nicest in Pullman. That is a massive hindrance. And it's not as simple as, well, then just build more hotels. I think they are building one more near the Holiday Inn. But for for 40 weekends a year, that town has way too many hotel rooms. Way, 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 way too many hotel rooms. And for six to seven during football season and then graduation weekend and parents weekend in the spring and a couple other here or there, it doesn't have enough, not nearly enough. And the hotels have to charge as much as they do to be able to keep the lights on the other nine months of the year when they're running at, you know, a quarter or a third capacity at most, at most. So it makes going, just from an accommodation standpoint, cost prohibitive. Even staying in Moscow is not easy. And if you're like me and you live in Seattle, what you want when you're going to a game in Pullman is you want that experience of being in Pullman. So staying in Spokane, staying in Pasco, staying in Walla Walla, whatever it is, Lewiston, just doesn't have the appeal that staying in Pullman does. And I, and in my mind, I'm not going to justify it as easily as I would spending all that time going to and from Pullman. Because to go to Spokane, I need to go to Spokane. Then it's a three-hour round trip on Saturday to go to Pullman. And I can't, you know, maybe have as many beers as I might like or tailgate as hard as I want because I need to make another hour and a half drive back to Spokane and then four hours the next day. Right? So it's hard to to kind of justify that in your head. Even staying in Moscow. I did that a lot when we were going to games regularly. And it's just it's not as fun. Okay? They are expanding the airport. They are doing that. But the biggest thing, the biggest thing that gets people in town is a winning football program. And a consistently winning football program. And I think there is something to... There's just generally been less fan interest, at least in in-person attendance after COVID. Um, and I and I don't think it just has anything to do with, you know, like being worried about getting COVID, like at least generally speaking. I think it's just more to do with a lot of people made a choice during the height of the pandemic when they saw how much they were spending on this thing. And they went, I could apply that money better elsewhere. And it's probably going to take some time to regenerate that interest in live sporting events. I'm not one of those people who believes, well, you put it on TV, there's no reason for me to go. I think there's really just something to going to a live sporting event, being there 
and experiencing it for yourself that you can't match on TV. But for a lot of people, that's not the case. So what gets butts in seats there? I mean, I, I, you know, you hear stories even during the 310 win seasons in the early 2000s, but they, Wazoo had trouble selling out games. They had trouble doing it. So this is not, low attendance is not a new issue. This is not a brand new problem Washington State is all of a sudden facing. And I'm kind of like roundaboutly talking about it because when I when it comes to the part where it's like, well, Michael, then offer a solution. I don't really have one. And I can't think of one other than to say the football team needs to win and win consistently like eight to nine times per year. And you need to make it easier on people to get to and from Pullman and stay in Pullman. But then the problem is you can't do it because at every other point in the year, the city can't support the infrastructure needed for everybody to come in. That There's like 20,000 extra people that pour into that city on a Saturday. That's two-thirds of the city's population all of a sudden. It's just like 66% heavier people-wise. That's not normal. That's not normal. Not a lot of towns can support that. And you certainly couldn't support it in lodging or in, you know, uh, air travel. They are building a new terminal at Pullman, Pullman Regional, which is way overdue. I can remember back in the days, if you if you flew in and out of that airport uh, in the mid-2000s, you knew there was a cat that lived in the terminal. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember flying out of there in March and being like, wow, this is... Wow. <laughs> so, I, I know the complaints. But the problem is, I just don't see a way to fix it. Again, I'm kind of roundaboutly talking about it because I'm not offering a solution to this. But I wanted to bring it up because it's just, you know, everybody thinks there's a, you know, a lot of folks might think there's a silver bullet for this. That there's this cure-all somehow. Widen SR26. Well, that's expensive and not needed for the other 340 days a year. It's just not. And the state would be stupid to spend the money on it. Well, have Alaska fly more flights. They're not going to be willing to do it unless they can make money on it. And you can't just throw extra flights on schedule on certain days sometimes. And on only on certain weeks. You can do, you know, extra flights like two days a week. But you can't just do it on a week-to-week basis. Well, build more hotels. Again, they would go belly up. Without, like, federal support. And I don't know if they have the same thing like they do with airlines where... The feds will cover the cost of a loss in the event the airline doesn't make money at a small regional airport. There's just not, you know, the school has done stuff right in the past. The CAF doing the buses from Spokane and the Tri-Cities, superb idea. That needs to come back. Even something like that from Seattle. See if you can work something out with Alaska for charter flights in and out. Or for a night and get a block of rooms wherever. 
More Airbnbs that aren't just an extra bedroom and students' apartments would help. Campsites. Even campsites would help. Teeny tiny things like this. But again, it has to be worth it to the city of Pullman and the university for the other 44 weekends a year. The other, you know, what am I thinking here? The other 340 days when it's not being used like it is during football weekends. That's where we kind of get a warped perspective of nowadays we only go back on those football weekends. So we only see it on those weekends. Do you guys remember how dead Pullman Sundays are? It, it might as well be a ghost town except for the foundry downtown and like Old European and Breakfast Club. That's it. Other than that, completely dead on Sundays. Everybody's hungover. Nobody's going anywhere. That's how, that's how it is. And until there's some seismic shift with that and there's no sign of that, Attendance will continue to be a problem. It would probably help Wazoo if there weren't four games in a row. I know Cal was homecoming, but it was right after Oregon. And let's face it, that's a much more desirable game to go to. And they, they were sold out. So, probably something to do with that. But again, all those reasons I listed, guys, it's just not a magic bullet. There's not a silver bullet to this. And I know we want there to be, but there just isn't. There's all those things that make it better. But there's nothing that's going to magically make it so that every game sold out. I mean, hell, UW wasn't selling out earlier this year. And they lived in a metropolitan area with 3 million people. It's not just a problem in Pullman. Look at UCLA, too. Dunderhead of the Week. Ask Michael anything. We'll listen to the fight song. We'll do both of those when we come back. Thunder head of the week. If you are going to be competing with morning commute traffic, uh, try to like speedily get somewhere in the city and you're a chauffeur, uh, please do not weave in and out of traffic as your Google Maps does not properly display what lane to be in to exit on State Route 99 as you're headed downtown. Uh, because this morning, as my wife and I were driving downtown with our daughter to drop her off to daycare and then myself off at work, um, a very clear, you know, it's one of those Cadillacs with the, you know, not the exempt plates, but it's like the chauffeur name and the number on the plate, weaving in and out of traffic on 99 going towards the tunnel, gets to the part where the exit divides from where the tunnel's going to go. And the tunnel, if you don't know, takes you all the way to the other side of downtown. It's two miles underground, and it, it's it's a very, very long way from per where this guy probably wanted to be. So he literally slammed on his brakes, like, Fast and the Furious style, 
and turned around, drove backwards in the gore triangle of the exit, and then got off. Guys, if we're going to do this, if you're going to chauffeur, I mean, A, you need to be better at your job. You need to understand where you're turning off. Like, I'm sorry, if you're a chauffeur in Seattle and you don't know that exit, you, buddy, we need to restudy some maps. But B, if you're going to do that in the morning, please don't try to kill all of the rest of us while you're doing that to go pick up some rich guy at the W to take him to the airport and you're running five minutes late. Okay? Like, I, I would like to get my my family SUV to my daughter's daycare in one piece. Much appreciated. Thank you very much. Ask Michael anything time. Stall masking, just please don't. Oh, and also don't take those like scooters that you can rent in Seattle with your phone and hop on and off the sidewalk. Please don't do that. Please do not, especially you cruise tourists. Oh my goodness. Ask. Michael, anything. As always, I don't look at these before I answer them. At CQGetty606, Sean is into big dumpers. Go M's. What's the weirdest sports thing that you forgot? Example, I completely forgot that Chip Kelly coached the 49ers. Wow, I forgot that too. Um, I mean, if I could remember it, I mean, I wouldn't forget it. I wouldn't have forgotten it, right? Um, I think I remember forgetting that Peyton Manning uh, was the quarterback of the Broncos, even though they played Seattle in the Super Bowl. Like, I remember being like, oh, yeah, that's right, he did that. Um, also, probably pretty easy to forget that Phillip Rivers was the quarterback for the Colts last year. Or was he? See, I don't even know if I'm forgetting that properly. <laughs> At Sports with Neil, postseason with Jess and Victor. How much drinking was too much on a Friday night asking for a friend? I need, I need to know how much you can handle, but um, if you were in Pullman, it's undefeated, never lost. So it doesn't matter. At Coog underscore Pack 31, Coog Pack 31, who wins in a fight, Hank Hill or Peter Griffin? <laughs> I love how much you guys listen to this show. Uh, Hank Hill definitely wins in a fight. He made Eagle Scout. Hank Hill wins in a fight. At West Coast Bias 11, Nate Kelly, what's your least favorite play in football? Uh, I mean, besides the end zone fade, um, which I, ju I just hate that play so much. Um, I mean, like, if I had to pick one, it'd probably be, um, the reverse. And I do mean a reverse because, or, or no, the double reverse. And I mean a true double reverse, not what a lot of announcers call a reverse, which is, um, which is like a, you know, a receiver coming around and taking the handoff from a quarterback that's an end around. Uh, I, I hate the double reverse because it almost never works. And if, if the defenders just like stay home. There's it, too much has to develop correctly on that play for it to ever go well. Now, when it really goes well, it goes well. But I feel like a lot of times it, it doesn't. So I'll go with that. At WSUBrady27, Brady, give us Michael's morning after meal, your breakfast, brunch, etc. for getting over an undefeated Pullman night out. Um, a Big Mac and a Coke, for one thing. I need to have that if I'm really going to get over it. Um, but I can substitute that with a red beer at uh, the breakfast club and then just kind of whatever strikes my fancy there i need to have soda though i have to have soda and like like regular soda i need that sugar to get over it at g foster gfc garrett foster you know what i want <laughs> garrett asked earlier today for a five minute rant, rant on why we aren't ranked um I, I just i give up at this point other than it's preconceived notions in the top 25 we're not winning the way we usually do um 
and nobody saw us beat the crap out of Cal, but everybody saw us lose quickly to Oregon last week. At Rick D. Flores, Rick Flores M. Ed, is a hot dog a sandwich? Would you rather which would you rather see first? Mariners in the World Series of the Cougs in the CFB Championship. Um, I'd rather see the Cougs in the championship game. We discussed this before. A hot dog is not a sandwich. At N Pronta, it's just it's 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 a tubed meat, and just because it's between bread doesn't make it a sandwich. Well, I'm trying to what's the old saying like, all squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares. Something like that. I can't finish the metaphor. Nick Pronte, what streak sucked the most to lose? The Cougs consecutive game scoring streak after getting shut out in 2008 by USC. Or the Sounders never missing the playoffs ending? Ooh. I cared more about that SC, the the shutout streak at the time. And this is probably recency bias, but probably the Sounders, because it was, what, 11 or 12 straight years. They made the playoffs, and they just kind of wet farted their way through the last half of that. It was just really uninspired soccer. It was not good. Um, like, it would have been one thing if they were at least busting their butt and trying, but it just seemed like they weren't. At human underscore 005, and then a bunch of emojis I don't see, or can, can tell what they are. After Cody Barton's performance yesterday, are the Seahawks drafting Dan in the first or second round? He's getting first round, second round chatter, so it'll be interesting to see how high he goes, but Seahawks could use a linebacker. At Enschulte 10, Nick, record-wise, what is the minimum it would take for Wisconsin to consider Dickert? Um, probably there's none. I think Jim Leonard, who's the defensive coordinator, it's probably his job to lose. Um, Dickert's not going anywhere after this year. He's had a year and a half in charge of an FBS program. And you probably don't give the coach of Washington State a big job after a year and a half. You probably wait at least. I mean, it took Mike Leach eight years to go to Mississippi State, even though he flirted with Tennessee a couple years before. So it... Yeah, it, it took a while. At C Raj six, Cody Rogers best tailgate meal, and also how many cans of Cougar Gold do we have to send to the AP to get ranked? I uh, probably the lot that's available. Um, my favorite tailgate meal is actually uh, like sausages, so like a, like a big sausage station. My favorite stand to go to um, after Sounders Mariners game is there's a I don't know the name of it, but it's. Um, just outside the southwest gate of Lumen Field, and they have like this entire table of like 30 condiments lined up for the hot dogs. You just buy a $5 hot dog and you load that thing up with a lot of good stuff. So, like a condiment bar with hot dogs, or like, you know, like griddled, like cooked on a griddle, hot dogs with toasted buns. Mm, that's the stuff right there. <sighs> USC 31, Washington State 21. They cover. But I just don't think this offense can do enough just yet. And this defense is going to have to probably play the most explosive offense they've played all year. And there's going to be some problems with that. So 31-21. We will talk to you next week. When we're hopefully talking about beating Oregon State for what, the ninth straight time? Something like that? I don't know why we wouldn't be talking about hopefully doing it. Um, but we will be talking about that next week on the Cook Center Hour.